Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Happinesses Podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison, and we are back and it doesn't get any bigger and better than this. We're right in the midst of the World Cup. So who do you bring on? You bring on the man that fitted the boiler in my house. And not only that, he goes by one name and one name only, Chunk. Let's get him on. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm good, mate. Yourself? I'm so excited. I can't believe that I finally got Chunk to sit still and be on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, saw so you on Sunday for the Scotland-South Africa game. What are you think in the World Cup so far? Uh, yeah, it's exciting. Um, obviously, disappointing on Sunday, but I mean, South Africa, South Africa are going to be really hard to beat, I think, yeah. Just so big and so strong. When we were talking about it, you said to beat South Africa, it's not run them around. You've got to take them on up front. Is there MD you think can do that? To be honest, no, I don't. I don't think so. I so don't, are, they I don't, your, honestly, are they your winners? Do you think they're going to win it? Oh, I'm going to say, oh, I want Scotland to win, obviously. But <laughs> anybody, I think anybody that wants to win it needs to beat them. Yeah. Uh, they were they were too strong, yeah. Right. Do, when you watch it, do you miss it? I do. I do a bit now. I think when uh, when I first stopped playing, I, I kind of stopped, started the business, and just kind of kind of had enough of it. To be honest, at the, at the time after so long, but 
gradually over time, especially the last sort of two or three years, I've gone back to a few games, getting back into it, reconnecting with people. And uh, yeah, when, you, when, I, when I go and watch it now, sometimes it's a bit, you sort of forgot it's like a different life or something. But yeah, I do miss it. Do you feel lucky to have had that life and then be able to start another one? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, as I say, it's like, like two. It's kind of like two lives, and I mean, I was just, I just like had a dream when I was little to play for Scotland and Edinburgh. And like, I grew up wanting to play for Edinburgh. You know, I went to watch Grand Slam nineteen ninety, David Soul, and then ended up playing in the in the games. And yeah, I mean, it was it was amazing. Why rugby? Because where you're from, it's not the biggest game. Football's the biggest game where you're from, but rugby's yeah. rugby's important to all of those East Lothian tunes. Ah, definitely. I mean, Preston, Preston Laws rugby's at high school anyway. Rugby was always pushed, so like I played many rugby at Preston Lodge, and you're right, it is a right football area as well. But I don't think I was ever going to do much on the football field. So when you started playing rugby, who who got you into that? Was that family that got you into that? I mean, I my brother, my big brothers played. My big brothers were playing mini rugby. I started going. Along, I started going to mini rugby when I was like six, seven. Um, I was just training. I wasn't allowed to play, and then it just kind of progressed for there, eh? it was like, I just loved it, for the, for the first minute I was there on a Sunday morning, I just loved it, I used to get up and, at like, I used to get up at five, six in the morning, get my boots ready and all that, eat my cornflakes, and uh, yeah, it just went, went for there, eh? just like, as soon as we started like, back then, we, we, we'd done contact in that straight away at like nine year old, and as soon as we started doing that, I was like, I was kind of the same my whole career though, like, never the fittest and all that, do you know what I mean? But, like, as soon as I got a ball and, like, I just lost it, eh? Like, running with the ball. Did you, were you, were you coachable? Were, were you listening or did you just want to play? What was that? Were you coachable? Uh, <laughs> I think so. I don't think anybody is at that age, are they? Maybe not men in rugby. I think as I got older, I started listening a bit more. Um, what, what, what did your mates think when, when you started to get further like because i would i'm imagining they they kept you pretty honest but they must have loved it they must have loved seeing their mate ah, i think i mean i was pretty lucky for a young age i got i got involved in like the districts and lovian schools and like scotland under 18s and all that really really young like for a young age and like people were always saying that i could go that i could go further and do this and that but I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know if I really. I'm gonna, well, I was going to say I didn't really believe it, but I wanted it that so much. It's like I did believe it. Um, I, I, I think my mates were all happy. I, well, when I was young, when I was younger, it was just such a. Do you know what I mean? Like Scott Murray. Scott Murray had went pro, and he played for PL for a bit. Um, he he went away down to Bedford and stuff, and people were talking about me a lot in East Lothian. And I was playing. I was playing in the third division with Preston Lodge, and like I think full time for Ed, for Edinburgh from there. Uh, it was quite funny. I was like, "What one? Uh, 
one season I was in the third division playing against Peebles and Kirkcaldy. And then, like, 12 months later, I was, like, playing against, like, internationals all, all over the place, Welsh and Irish internationals every week. It was mental. And, how, like, how different is it? Like, you now that that's not going to happen now because you go into an academy and you or you've played quite a few years of senior rugby like how different did you find packing doing at beverage park against Kirkcaldy and then 12 months later packing doing against an international an international prop forward i'll tell i'll tell you i'll be honest with you here right see that see that last year i played for pl i think i was like 18 going on 19 Right, see the third division at the time. Like at Kirkcaldy, you had like Danny Herrington and Willie Anderson. <laughs> at Peebles, you had like Stevie Ferguson. Like all, all these guys were like Scotland Day and like Scotland Development players. And I was just, I was just, I was just young. Like I was getting, I was getting my head shoved up Mars <laughs> almost on a weekly basis. So. Like, I don't know if this I don't know if this is going to sound right, but it was actually scrummaging was a bit easier when I started at Edinburgh <laughs> than it was my last season at Preston Lodge. And is that because you were having to do so much at Preston Lodge, and then when you're at Edinburgh, the whole pack scrummaging, and you've got a hooker that can scrummage, and you've got a big second row behind you. Ah, I mean, there's obviously a massive dif- difference physically wise in the size of guys and the strength of guys. Um, Oh, it was, I mean, it, it maybe didn't sound right there. When my first season was really tough, it was, it was, but it was a big jump for the third division, fitness-wise and stuff like that. I remember my first day at Edinburgh, and I was just, I finished, I finished my apprenticeship on the Friday as a plumber, and then I, I started training on the Monday, and it was like the first day pre-season with Edinburgh. And I think we're doing like hundred meter back to backs. I was never built for like 100 repeats. And I, I think I got through like seven or eight of them. And I was just like broke. I was just like broken. I was like, what What am I doing here? What am I doing here? How am I going to survive this? So it ended up all right. I think there was only one person worse than me that day. And I, I think it was actually Kev Utterson. He was just back. He was just back for a two week stag do or something in Magaloo. So he luckily he was behind me. Kev likes a likes a social, didn't he? I think it. Uh, it was his first day as well. It was a few years all started that day, but went pro that day. Me, Kev, Stevie Scott. Um, see, so, so you finish your you finish your apprenticeship. Was that part of the plan, or is that just how it worked? Like, were you determined that you were going to finish your apprenticeship before you signed, or did it all just fall into place? Did, well. And I, I actually went down to Bath the year before, right? Just after they won the European Cup. And they they wanted me to go down there and finish my apprenticeship. And I was like dying. I was just desperate for anything rugby all the time. And everyone was saying to me, just stay stay and finish your apprenticeship and Edinburgh will sign you. And then like, I played that next season at PL, finished my apprenticeship. But it was just, it was just kind of at the last minute I actually got signed. Like Peter Wright, I think he his knee got screwed and he was like out of the game. So there's like an opening for a for a prop. And then Ranks Ian Rankin was uh, under twenty one 
he'd be my manager and head coach under 20, Scotland under 21s, and he was in charge of Edinburgh at the time. He just phoned me, told me to come in. And they put me in a cupboard at Moneyfield and said, Do you want a contract? I said, Aye. So, how, how did you end up at Bath? Because you've not got an agent at this point. You're just playing rugby and being chunked. No, I was like, I think I was, uh, I think I was seven. I was, I think I was seventeen. I was, I was playing for the first at PL. Remember, PL used to do like the big tens tournament. Yeah, I played in the final against Northampton. Well, it might have been that year, mate. Northampton were there sale, but there was a, there was a, there was a scout for Bath called uh, Brian Robson. I think his name was. He was like an old school, long term scout guy for Bath. So. He 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 just seen me that day, and then they came up to him after it and says, "Do you want to come? You want to come down for a week trial?" I was like, "Nah, I'm busy." The round round day one, uh, so I went in there and uh, played. I played a couple of games for like our combination teams. Like I played a, I don't know if you if you knew what it was like back then, but they had like loads of smaller clubs in in the town, and they were like they're sort of almost like all feeder clubs. So I played, I played a game. I played a game on. Well, I got down there. I played a game on the Friday for Coombe Down against Wimbledon, and the guys down there, like they were, they were just absolute cider monsters. So Brian Robson said to me, "He's like, have a good time with the guys and that, but don't go out with them." So I, ma- I managed to uh, just have a few and, and go back to the hotel, and and he was happy with that. And then the midweek, like Bath had just won the European Cup. So I played, there's a team between Bath and Gloucester called, I think it was Canesham. So the European, Bath European Cup winning squad were like playing Canesham midweek in a sort of like bounce game, if you like, pre-season. Bear in mind, I'm 17 playing for the first at PL, thinking how much in the first at PL. I've still got two years in under 18s. And then, the, and then the next thing I'm like down there playing against like the the European or the European champions. It was just unbelievable, eh? So as I say, after after that, they wanted me to go down and finish my apprenticeship down there, but I just stayed I stayed I stayed up, which was definitely the right thing to do. And uh do you, do you ever think about what might have happened if you'd gone to Bath? Because life would have been could have been really different. Nah, nah. That never thought of it. I you might have been playing for England. I, I, I honestly think everything goes the way it's meant to go. I got in like like I went full time Edinburgh, like sort of three four months into the season. Ranks ranks actually left. Bob Eason took over as head co- head coach. He'd been my under eighteen coach, and he he put me straight in every week at like twenty. And by the end by the end of that season, I was lucky. I got into a Scotland Day game, and then like that June, I was like in New Zealand with, with the full squad. And did you like? Did you think this is ridiculous, or were you just? It was ridiculous, mate. I was I was in the third division. I was in the third division. I was in the third division like one June. The following June, I was at Eden Park. <laughs> I was sitting at Eden Park beside Lomu at an after-match function. 
Right. Oh, oh, hold the bus there. Hold the bus there. <laughs> what happened to you, John? Have <laughs> an after-match function? Nothing, nothing. Nothing. What did you talk to him about? Nothing. I was just looking at him. I was just like looking at him. I just I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I used to sit and play. I was like at the time. We're right, all here's here's a news flash for you. Here's yeah? a news flash for you. He was sitting looking at you, and he couldn't believe it. <laughs> we were all sitting every night playing the uh, lawnmower on the PlayStation <laughs> for two years leading up to this. Everyone was addicted to. Rugby World Cup '95, John Aluma Rugby, and then like that's that's how all that kind of panned out. Like for the for division signed by Edinburgh, sitting at Eden Park with John Aluma, all within twelve months. Had you had you been anywhere? That like you'd obviously been age group stuff. So where where had you been with rugby up till that point? Um. I mean, I'd be I'd been in under 18s and the twenty ones. I'd been like right through that system. That system. Uh, I mean, I, I think I played some. I played something like twenty games for the Scotland under twenty ones, and I was two or three years in the under eighteen setup. So I'd, I'd been around. I'd been around a bit. Um, but but that that was that was that was all right round about the time it all went. Professional like 95, 96, 97. We were we were just like we were like the youth teams on if you like. So ah, it was just uh, it was just the whole thing, the whole way it panned out was just unbelievable. So when you go into a Scotland squad, you already know some of the players because you've been through age group with them, you've played with them at Edinburgh. How how different was it though to the other squads you'd been in, or was it just I'm in a rugby squad with other boys and we're playing rugby? Was it was it no different to you? What was Scotland? Aye. When I first got in, no, I was I was breaking it. I didn't really know anybody. <laughs> like I think I think the only person I'd, I'd kind of came up with that was on that tour was Chris Patterson. Um like I played with him a couple of years in the twenty in the twenty ones. But it was all like seasoned pros, you know. It was all like just like Chile, like you know, just all the internationals. It was just like I was just like, how am I here? Like, how did so I you did, here? you did have that. Like you were saying, like what, what am I doing here? You must have realised that you were good. Oh, it must have been. I think I was all right at the time, but it was, it was just, uh, it was just all a bit of a shock the way it all happened. It wasn't a shock. I just mean it was like it all happened pretty quick. When you were with Scotland, like you've just said about sitting next to John Owamu, like that's a big deal for anybody. I don't care who you are. Sitting with John Owamu is a big deal. Was there anybody with Scotland that you thought, like, that's class? I'm in the same squad as him. All of them. Everybody. <laughs> and. You you and Mossy are pretty different beasts. You you and Mossy approach the game slightly differently, I think, is the polite way to put it. What what was it like when you were away on tour? Did you just did you just love that environment? I definitely um back then tours were like I think that I think that New Zealand tour was six weeks. I actually came home unbeaten for that tour now. I think about it. I played all the midweek games. Um, but it was six weeks, and you were like, 
it was kind of set up differently back then. There was the dirt, you were there was the dirt trackers, and then the, like the the team, the Saturday team, basically, right? So we'd play on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, and then and then you'd be holding bags, cannon fodder for the full team getting ready for the Saturday. It was just a continuous cycle of that for for six weeks. So the dirt trackers basically never got like the day off after a game or anything like that. You were holding bags. And uh, I mean, I, the tours were brilliant back then. It was, it was, a, it was amazing. You go to so many different places as well. Like even the mid two thousands to late two thousands, when they were, when we we're going on tour, you just sort of go on, go somewhere, play a couple of tests, sometimes in the same place. When when we're in Argentina away in two thousand and ten, we dotted about a bit, but like New Zealand, we were in like eight places in six weeks, something like that. It was amazing. See, like seen a good bit of the country. Are you glad um, there was no social media then? Ah, it was probably a good thing, that. <laughs> I would say. What, what was it like going to somewhere like Argentina? I mean, that's it, I've I've never been. I'd love to go, and especially for rugby, because the like you said about we spoke about football before. Everybody thinks Argentina football, but the rugby's huge, and the fans are crazy, aren't they? Oh, I love it across there. I mean. I can't, I can't remember where all the tests were. One was to come on. I remember to come on was like crazy. Like the fans were mental. It was like, it reminded me a few times like when we were playing in the south of France, like European Cup games. It's like you're running out onto the pitch and there's like, like a sort of cage over your head. And you're thinking in the warm-up, why is that cage there? As you're running out in the warm-up and you go back in and you come out for the game and there's like bottles bouncing <laughs> off the cage. <laughs> Like, oh, Just man. like being back at the penny pit. It was a bit. It's like a, it's like a PL muscle for a derby. <laughs> well, how did you find being the boy for PL and those Scotland squads? Because they, like, I, I was never anywhere close to what you were. But when I joined those squads, I loved that. I loved meeting boys for other schools or boys for other clubs and. You know, teams you'd never played against because you you didn't travel way up north or maybe through the west. Did did you love that social bit of getting to know people for uh, other places? Ah, definitely. It was like that's a great that's a great thing about rugby, like meeting guys and playing with, training with guys and and like playing with guys straight away. It's like you get this instant sort of bond thing. You know what I mean? And like I can remember even going back to like Edinburgh under sixteens, eighteens, and that. And you knew some of the guys, you know, you'd done your squad sessions and that. Went out for a few pints to Bertie's, get to know boys. And um yeah, that I think I think that's I think that's the thing I love most about rugby and like the the, the touring and the away games and that. So it's like the camaraderie, the nights out, the laughs, all that stuff, you know, it's like it's a serious game. It was always a serious game, but I think uh like some of the some of the best some of the best things I was involved with were like on tours and like away games and that when guys like that's when guys really got close eh? and like wasn't all about drinking like you know they're just going out during the week for meals a couple of pints like having having good fun. That's, you, that's, you, uh, you must have had a lot of roommates in over the course of your career. I had a few. I, I had a few. I think by the end of it, though, I think by the end of it, though, there was only be a few guys that would want to room with me because, like, <laughs> my, sno- my snoring. Apparently, I was a bad snorer. 
I still don't believe it. <laughs> so who, like, do, how does it work? Do you, do you pick your roommates or does the coach, who decides? There was all different, there was all different ways it was done by different coaches, different teams. Um, like at Edinburgh, at Edinburgh for years, uh, when Lindsay was a team manager, she would do it on like a rotation thing, but she'd always put me and Scott McLeod together. Oh, um, no. That's, that was that was it. My last, my last few years ago, I was always with Scott because it was like, see, when he fell asleep, it was like nobody could wake him up. So it was like with my snow run, it was like it wasn't a problem. There was guys waking up in the rooms next to me and like two doors down with my snow run, but Scott would still be asleep in the bed beside me. I love Scotty McLeod. What a boy. Well, I can't imagine you two talking a lot about rugby, though, in that room. No, I was actually speaking on speaking on today. He was on a bit. He still, talk, he still talks about Nigel Jordans all the time. Oh, that's, what a that's boy. What he loves his basketball, eh? Aye, he loves it. He's a big poser, too. Did, you, well, ever see, did you ever see his, his Jordan tattoos? No. Have you seen his tattoo? Like his, you seen his, his sleeves he's got? Yeah. Well, he's he got Jordan have, in there. He just used to have like a Jordan motif there and one there, like on each arm. But he was, was a player was... though, eh? Scott, he was a basketballer. I remember being uh-huh. in South Squad sessions with him and he wouldn't wear rugby shorts, so he, we couldn't do line out. So he, somebody would have to swap shorts for him so he could get lifted in a line out at training. Uh, he, was a, he was unreal at basketball. He was unreal. He loves his lineouts. Oh, it's he, some, he, it was some guy in the lineout, like unbelievable, quick, so athletic. Ah, he was. What was he like in a scrum? I mean, honestly, he's one of the best guys I've ever had behind me. One of the strongest. Really? I say that to people. People like people are obsessed with the sort of gym strength and all that kind of stuff, but like it's massively important. Don't get me wrong, but like some of the some of the guys, some of the guys. That I felt were the best scrummagers I had behind me. They, they, were, they were probably nowhere near the strongest, like physically. They just had this thing where they wanted to scrummage. You know, like the Scott, front row. Scott's got that edge, though, isn't he? Scotty's a mongrel. Ah, it was. Ah, I'd always pull his hair as well, though. <laughs> I'd give his hair a wee tug. He, he, he was sub. He was sub player. I would love that. Would have been the brilliant documentary to have been in a room with you two. <coughs> I, don't I, know. Bet was, I bet it was a shambles. I can't imagine you two being neat and tidy. I was alright. I was alright. It was get it was I think the real problem was waking us up. <laughs> there was actually there was one time right I think it was a Roni we put we were staying in Parma. Um, we're getting beat at half time. We ended up winning, and we ended up. This is no lie. We, en- we ended up in a restaurant at five in the morning, having a sit down four course Well, what I think was like the local mafia or something like that. <laughs> so they're they're giving us, they're giving us like drinks. We we course. So we went back to the room at like six half six for a half eight flight. And like, I'm snoring, he's comatose. I think the whole squad put a bang on the door to wake us up before they woke us up. 
Uh, uh, I love it. Some who, play, there was some player. Who, who did you room with when you were away with Scotland then? Uh, well, it just depends. on. See, see but the last few years I played for Scotland, but her room's on her own. Which... Uh, a lot of guys, a lot of guys liked it at the time, and that caused it caused a lot of problems as well because some guys needed somebody needed a roommate to like tell them what time meetings were, and like some guys were away with the fairies. Like, see, there was me thinking you were going to say some guys needed like the emotional support or so, but no, it was just to tell them when the meetings are. <laughs> well, yeah, like guys, a lot of guys would go for their for their naps and things like that, and then just completely miss meetings. <laughs> So, because of, like having guys rooming on their own, it would cause a lot of other problems. You know what I mean? The timekeeping and angry coaches. How how did you get on with coaches? Uh, did I think? Um, <laughs> you maybe need to ask them. Who you had? You played with a lot of coaches. Uh, yeah. Edinburgh went through a lot. I mean, in your time at Edinburgh, you must have seen loads of coaches because it was yeah. at one point it was like a revolving door. I think who, I might have been more coaches than players. <laughs> who? What? What were the or who were the coaches that you thought? Yeah, I, I love working with this. Uh, uh, you know, I look forward to sessions. I like listening to their speeches. Who was that? I mean. I think when I when I first when I first started, I was just kind of in awe of everything. But like, because I'd had Bob, like through under eighteens and that, and then him sort of giving me a, a shot as a pro and that sort of in the in the Welsh league, like like I'll never forget that. And then Frank 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 took over, and Frank just wanted to play this totally different way to everybody. And like this, and it was, it, it was, um, it was really exciting. Um, like the first sort of two, three years, Frank was there. It was a totally, it was a different. It was a kind of different ethos he was trying to get us to do. It was almost like he was a bit ahead of his time with what he was trying to do with us at Edinburgh. Everybody else started doing it sort of three, four, five years later. Um. So that, that that was a good period as well. And at that time as well, when Frank when Frank was there, like Todd Todd Blackadder and Brendan had came across Finizio and Brendan Laney Chainsaw, which was pretty surreal as well at the time. That was that was a good period. I remember I remember sitting in my house watching the, it was like the MPC Cup final. And it was like Canterbury against Canterbury against Otago. And it was like Canterbury won, but I think Chainsaw was like man of the match. And it was like four months later, they were like on the back pitches with us. It was just like, how, how is this happening? It, it was black, crazy because they were massive name, like Todd Blackadder, massive name. Ah. Uh-huh. And like he, Todd, Todd was captain of the All Blacks when I was at Eden, like that tour in the like at Eden Park. So like, See that after match, I said when I was sitting with Lomu, like Todd was up talking, and then it was like sort of eighteen months later, he was like playing, he was like our captain. 
what, what, what was what was that like? I mean, we've in Scotland we've got this thing with the All Blacks. Like we we know them all. We know we know All Black players like we know Scotland players because Scotland and New Zealand have always had that relationship. But they're just they're just so good. So Todd Blackadder walks in. Like to me, that's that's like movie stuff like that's that's comic book stuff that this this hero's walked in to play club rugby in scotland it just feels mad it was it, it literally was how did how did he how did he present himself because that those first impressions he must know they're they're looking at me thinking that's todd blackadder which probably puts a bit of pressure on him what was it like when he first came because brendan laney got a hard time because he arrived and went straight into the scotland team Whereas yeah. Todd Blackadder's one that's really thought of still really highly. Do you know what? When Todd came in, I can't remember the, the complete details of it, but it wasn't it wasn't pre-season. It was like a bit into the season. So Burnsy was Burnsy was the captain. And Todd just came in and just started training like an animal. He wasn't saying any, he wasn't saying much. He was just like an animal. So it was like he didn't have. He didn't. He wasn't. He didn't come in and like, like you kind of expect in that situation and start like mouthing off, telling people what to do and everything. He he like, he made like he made everybody respect him first. Like he didn't like everybody did respect him. Don't get me wrong, but he it was like he wanted to prove himself first. That's what I thought was so unbelievable about him. And it was like, you know what I mean? It was like the captain of the best team in the world. And it's just like going through training like everybody else. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Seen anything? Now he done. He probably done that for about a month, six weeks. Just like grafted, and like showed guys how it was done. I mean, he was always going to be the captain and like take over and do what he did, but like. I don't know the way the way he done it was just like a, a different league, I think, to a lot of guys. The way they they done it and like did the standard go up? Did he, did he lift this? Like did others start training better, smarter, harder <laughs> because Todd Blackadder was next to him? I I could tell you a few stories. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he started it started doing like extras extras after training like every day. So it was like shut shuttles. 100 metres, 50 returns, whatever. And it was always, like, on the line. So up until that point, whenever, like, you were doing, guys were doing fitness or extra fitness, guys would be always cutting corners, like, turning around, like, a metre before the line, like, like 
on the deck up. Like he would be, he would go crazy. If he caught anybody, he would be going crazy at them. Make guys do even more. And about anybody was late. I remember Andrew Kelly being late when he was just at the school for a fitness session. And Todd basically just it made us all just run and run and run. Ned Ned got like carried like a oxter like a guy each each arm with his toes like dragging behind him <laughs> off off the back pitches at Merkey. It was never ever late again. <laughs> ever. I remember Matt Day once as well said something stupid to him at pre-season down at Gullen Beach. When he was just young, I think Matt said something like, "It was real interested to see how far he could push his body." <laughs> <laughs> I just remember us all walking after walking off the beach after like one of the hardest sessions you could imagine, and we were all turning around and looking. And Todd and Matt it was like he was just making Matt go up and down Murder Hill with him, just over and over. And this is after two and a half hours of like. The hardest train you've ever done, and I think Ted, I think Ted slept at Murder Hill that night. I think he had to sleep there. But I Todd was uh, Todd changed the game at Edinburgh, and, and, and Chainsaw as well. Chainsaw was like he was just a brilliant boy. What, he was slated, he's a great slated, boy. He got slated to death, like for sort of parachuting into the Scotland team. But it was it was absolutely unbelievable. For Edinburgh, like the time he was here, it was un- it was unreal. Um, like if you get a- if you can get a highlight reel at somewhere like what Buffer done at Edinburgh, it's like it'd be up there with anybody. And how how did the players like receive that? Were they because he was getting hammered? Like the fans were going nuts. I think Scottish rugby at the time had a chat room that folk were just ripping into. Uh, but what were the were the players just quite happy? He was a mate. He was working hard. Did they? You used to accept him like anybody else. I mean that that I think that that was the first. I think that was the first time something like that had really happened. Like a a foreigner, if you like, or whatever you want to call it, coming in and, and doing that. Like the way it was done, the way it was handled. Um, so it's quite it's quite hard, but for the guys involved, but. I mean, Brendan done so much at Edinburgh. I've never seen. I've never had a bad word to say about him. I just nice, brilliant, brilliant boy. What young backs at Edinburgh learned off him? No, they wouldn't even learned off anybody else at the time. Even a lot of the coaches, the stuff, the stuff like Brendan knew, like how what to do, how to run a backline, like the way he wanted to attack. It's just unreal. Did did you love that? Did you love learning off other folk? Like you, it sounds I'm like you were smoking. Nah, no, really. <laughs> <laughs> you you were out there all the time, but you like you've spoken about you've spoken about quite a lot of things there. Like you, there's that image that Chunk just played in Happy Go Lucky, night, but you're you're a smart operator. Like you're you're a switched on guy. You've obviously taken quite a lot in. Did you enjoy that bit of it, or were you just at the time focusing on yourself? No, I, I did enjoy it, and like I was so I was so lucky over the years, mate, with the people across paths with at the right time. Like what I'm saying, like 
getting into the Scotland team, then like guys like Todd and that coming, and then like it was just like it, it just kind of keep, kept happening to me, and then it was like as I got into my sort of mid twenties, and I maybe was like stalling a bit, and it was like maybe I wasn't maybe I wasn't a scrummager I could have been. I went in. Uh, I went in one morning, and it was like Massimo was there standing in the car park. It was like nobody even really said anything about it, and like. My, I, had, I had like two posters on my wall when I was a kid, David Soul and Massimo. So it was like I kind of got into my head that summer. I'm, I'm needing to, I'm needing to work a bit more on my scrummaging if I want to like get into the Scotland team all the time and that. And then it was the next thing Massimo just appeared, and then it was like it was like, and then he was just like with me twenty four seven, teaching me about scrummaging and like mentality, aggression, like everything to do with the scrum. And up until that point, we'd spent a, we'd spent a few years trying to do all this expansive stuff with Frank, and that, that was great, that was brilliant, but, like, Massimo changed everything, like, the attitude about, like, scrummaging in Scotland. When and, when he came in, so somebody like that comes in, right, and everybody that worked with him spoke so highly of him and, and loved him, and some of that was because of his knowledge and how they he helped them get better, but some of it was him as a person. Yeah. Before he was there, did you think... Was was there ever a point where you thought, like, how how much more can I learn? Like, I must know everything by now, or did, were you all? Did you always have that desire to learn more as you were going through your career? No, I, th- I think always, I think always wanted to learn. And like, don't get me wrong, like, I was around, I was around good forwards coaches and all, everything up until then. Like, like I worked with Eddie a lot when I was like a teenager, Eddie Pollock, and like. Henry was great with me at Edinburgh in the early days and that as well. But like Massimo just like had the scrummaging thing on a different level. Not just to anybody in Scotland, to any, I think to anybody in the world. And like it was just like I crossed paths with him at exactly the right time. And it was like I don't know, it was just I just feel lucky and, and like as you say, everybody loved him, but the way the way it was, it wasn't just that he was technically a great coach. It was like he was a mentor. He mentored boys. I don't think I really, I don't think I really realised at the time, but now that I think back, it was like it was that guy's twenty four seven. But it wasn't. It wasn't just like talking about rugby and scrums and that. It was like he was always around guys, asking how they were, shaking everybody's hand, like he, he had, like he had a. He had an angry streak in him if boys were pissing about in that, but it was like guys just guys just respected him and listened to him and done what he said. He was a top uh, top top coach. Did did you love scrumming? Like when if it was a Tuesday scrummaging session, were you like, yes, this is this is it? Or was it really just a necessary thing you had to do? Nah, see that this is where people have got it wrong. It's like everything else is kind of like Nothing else really actually matters. <laughs> everybody thinks everybody thinks it does, but like what I was trying to say earlier about South Africa, I guarantee you by the end of this tournament it'll all come down to South Africa's scrum. Scrummaging folk. Like everything else will go out the window. It'll be just be about taking on people up front. It's I know it's hard for backs to accept that, <laughs> but that's just the way it is and it'll never ever change. Would you, if if you could have, right? If you weren't playing for Scotland, who would you have played for? Who would it, who would have been the country you would have played for? Me. 
Uh, if if De- you could Denmark, have, maybe. <laughs> if you could have played in a front row with with anybody, who would it have been? Would you have been in a Springbok front row, knowing that they were massive, or would you have played in the All Black? Who would it have been? Who would I have chose to play for? Aye. I don't know. Nobody. I want to play for Scotland. <laughs> nice, right? We'll take that. We'll take it. Argentina, you... Argentina, maybe at the time, like growing up uh, watching Argentina. See, that just proves that you do love scrummaging. If you say when you're our age and you say Argentina, that means you love scrummaging. Because at the time, that was that was them. That you're right. That was everything. That was what they did was scrummage. Uh, the 80s and 90s watching them. So what was it like scrummaging against them in Argentina? Uh, it was fun. <laughs> no, it was hard. It was hard, but we done we done well. Um, I mean they were tough. They were tough, tough games. We played four, we played four tests in the two years over over there and won three of them. Um, I don't think we'd ever won a test over there. They were hard, hard games, but like it was up front. They were one. Then the scrum, well, mate. The backs could never have won their games, mate. <laughs> and then you and Jim Hamilton go out on the randan in uh, Buenos Aires, was it? I don't know what Jim was doing. I was just, I was just against some uh, protein powder. <laughs> what was the story you told me on Sunday about the roundabout? Yeah, I was walking across the end of it with an eight foot by four foot <laughs> glass door. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what he was doing. Like to this day, I don't know. So Jim Hamlin just said he was busy. That was it. I asked him what he was doing. I said, "Do you want to go to the? Do you want to go to the chippy?" And he said, "No, I'm busy." With his eight by four foot door for the front of the Hilton, I. <laughs> I love that because he's died out on quite a lot of chunk stories. So I'm glad that we got in the the door on the roundabout story with Jim. <laughs> Some boy. Do you who who do you miss? Who who was your who, who, what what sort of team room do you miss? What players were the ones that made you laugh or kept you entertained? Um, yeah, that's hard, man. I played that long with that many guys, but like, like me and Jim, me and Jim used to have a laugh. Me, me, Jim, and Scott McCoy, but it was just like a constant laugh. Hey, eh? like, I mean, it was, it wasn't just a laugh, but like, they guys were funny, man. Funny guys, and like, sometimes you just needed that. Even hey? like when you were away in that a lot and was traveling all the time, it's like. And I'll tell you, Mossy was funny as well. Like, Mossy was funny on a tour. I mind one time, it, I mind one time it had in like a, a, um, a full size, like a walk in fridge in Canada somewhere. So, like, Stuart, they used to put, they used to put, like, all the usual suspects would be doing for the toast, like, late at night, like 10 o'clock at night. And Stuart Barton was one of the worst. He'd come down and he'd shovel up all the all the bread and like all the jam for the fridge. So one night Mossy hid in the fridge with the jam, like the walk-in fridge. Barty walked in. Barty walked in. 
and opened the door to get his jam, and most of it just jumped out on him. It was so funny. Mossy plays the straight lace on TV and working for Scottish Rugby and but everybody that knows him knows he's an absolute pest. Oh, he's a fun, Mossy is a funny guy. Absolute man. Barty, what a great boy Barty is. Yeah, Barty's he, a brilliant physio, brilliant physio as well. Like, unbelievable. But, um, uh, they got they got just to work, just work, work their socks off, eh, Barty? Much of all you guys. What was your relationship like with the strength and conditioning teams? All right, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, it's fine. I uh, I struggled. I struggled a lot, and I struggled a lot early, early on. Like, uh, like I was never a big run. I was never a big runner. Like down and up shuttles and that fine, but there was a period, man, when it all came down to like your three k times and all this stuff, and I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Uh, I just couldn't operate like that. When like I just, I mean, I got I improved it and stuff. You know, when things actually really changed for me, fitness wise, Mark Mark Bitcoin came in, right? Um, he'd been like he'd been all over the place, like Wigan Warriors. He'd been across in the NFL, doing all like loads, of, and then like he went back to Wigan, ended up Olympic. He's done so much stuff, like he's he was amazing, Man City, and like he came in and like he said, like, didn't I get as wrong. Like, like I got all my, all, all my fitness coaches, and I got stuff for everybody, and like I'm proved bits and bobs from them all, but like what, what he said to me is, he says, I'm not going to compare you to anybody. So I'm not going to compare this time to of yours to his time. He says, I just want you to beat your times all the time. Like every month, I want that to get a bit better, that to get a bit better. I want that to get a bit better. And it was like, instead, instead of me continuously like trying to beat guys that were like so much aerobically fitter than me, where I was never, I was never ever going to get there unless I just stopped playing rugby and concentrated on the running, which was never going to happen. I just like, I just like improved. He just had me improve, beating myself. So every time I was training, then I was, I would try to beat myself, not the, not the guys who were so much fitter than me. And like gradually over time, I just started getting closer and closer and closer to them. It was just like a mindset thing. Like he hit me with, and it was like it changed everything for me. Like. That's that's smart though, yeah. That's that's a good way to go because you could have got pretty down when you're always comparing yourself to somebody else. Whereas I, I was, and and that. But if if you were passing that on to a young player, I didn't get picked. He's this that. Yeah, but just make yourself a lot better. Like that's pretty much what you're saying. If you just focus huh? on you and get as good as you can be, exactly. That's it. Hundred hundred percent. Hundred percent. Would you go into coaching? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm getting, a bit, I'm getting on a bit now. Maybe. I mean, I want, I want, I want to do something. I'm just not exactly sure, like what, what it will be yet. But I feel like, I feel like I need to give something, like you know, the stuff that was kind of passed to me by Massimo and like guys like Tom Smith as well. It's like I feel like I need to like. Sort of pass it down a bit, but I just don't know where exactly yet and how. I've got a brilliant idea. Chunk does prop star. Prop star. Prop star. You could do a scrummaging clip. It could be like a 
six week series and at the end of every week you, you eliminate somebody and then the the prop at the end of it gets a contract with Edinburgh. Sounds all right. Sounds all right. Let's get on channel five. <laughs> Chunky's prop star. I love it. Yeah, but there must be heaps of knowledge in there for you to pass on, even if it doesn't necessarily have to be a, as a coach, but as a scrum technician. It, you, you'd be class at that. I mean, it, 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 the, game, the game changes in that. The game's changed since I stopped playing. Like, the year I stopped playing was the last year there was hits in the scrums. So, like, the scrum, like scrummaging and all that's changed a lot. But, like, over the whole time I was playing, a lot of the stuff changed. But, like, there's basics in scrummaging now, and there's, there's things you can't hide of. And the things Massimo used to go on about a lot of the time, which, like, I didn't actually realise it as much. And Tom used to talk about it as well. Tom used to Tom used to sit a lot and talk about emotion, right? Emotions, emotion is scrummaging and all that, right? Massimo was the same about aggression and your mentality and like wanting to die in every scrum and like and all that. And like it was almost like a lot of guys and like even myself at some points, I didn't actually realise completely realise what they were talking about until I was finished and looked back on it all. And it was like the, the fact, like the bot, the bottom line is. And you can see it. You, you, you can see it in games. You see it in games when like guys, will maybe have like a great dominant scrum, and then other times they won't. You can't understand why. It's like it's a sort of eight man emotional mentality. That's what it is. Aggression. And like Tom and Tom and Massimo, they used to go on and on and on about it. And it's like I don't think you can really. I don't. I don't. I think it's a hard thing to accept. See when you're playing, and you're thinking you're doing it all the time, but you're actually not. But you can see when you can't. You can actually see when you are doing it. I think that's one of the. I think that's one of the biggest things that like. That guys, that guys can realise. Yeah, guys can can learn. Jeez, you you got two of the absolute best there, and you're right because well, it's the same with Ennis, the same with goal kicking. Oh, he's kicked it every time, but he missed that one. What happened? We know he can kick, but it was the. It was the emotion of that moment that, for some reason, pulled it wide, or you know, a line out throw. Any of those things. It it it's brilliant hearing you talking like that. Talk me through the hit. I mean, that you're right. I mean, that that was like that. That's bonkers, chunk. You were right in that seven seven plus you hammering into eight of them. Like, how, how did you prepare for that? How do you get ready for that? Because everyone in your brain should be saying, "This is stupid. What am I doing?" That's the thing, though. My brain was saying the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and there we've got a standoff and a props different view. That's what we've just heard. <laughs> uh, um, it's just the way it always was. It's the way you grew up playing. It's the way it was. But I mean, it, cha it changed. They changed it. They changed it because of all the sort of gamesmanship and the shenanigans that was going on and the referees, you know. The referees couldn't deal with it. Like a, ref a referee can a referee can stand and watch four props at the same time. It's 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 impossible. So the, like they took the hit away. But I kind of I kind of I kind of think they opened up another can of worms. So Aye. you know the game the game like the props have got like and I'm not saying they shouldn't, but the props have got a lot fitter, making a lot more tackles around the pitch. A lot, a lot more, so there's less space, more impacts, more collisions, more people getting hurt. 
It's like the good, the good, the, the thing I loved about rugby was there was a place for everybody. Like you didn't get the wee chunky props anymore, like the shorter, stocky guys, because there's no hit. Because you could like shorter guys. Look at Tom. Look at the guys that Tom took on, like monsters. Like that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen now because it's there's no hit. So uh, like, it, there was a knock it, on taking the hit out of the game. No, I'm I'm way there about the place for everybody because I'm not convinced it's still there. It, scrummaging, like whenever I see a referee blow the whistle and put his arm in the air at a scrum, I always think, how 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 have you done that? Like, what have you seen that? And and there is now like the bind slipping and so, but you you must have loved playing with certain refs because you knew they. They didn't have a clue what they were doing, or you were getting away with it. And you must have had some chirps or referees. Ah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It became like a big, like like this. The gamesmanship in the scrum was just like it was getting ridiculous. <laughs> and it was like, you know, guys would get a reputation for doing this, and then it was like, it didn't matter what they'd done. It was like he was getting the blame of that, and he was getting the blame of that. It was like what was actually happening went out the window. Everybody was pre. Everybody was pre-thinking stuff and pre-deciding stuff. Um, but I, I just, that's dead what I did, mate. <laughs> there must have been some chat in the, some of the front rows. Who, who is who would give out a little bit of chirp in the front row? Did you speak to your opposite man, or did you just do it physically? Uh, it depends what they were. They were being a bit lucky. I was gladly. I wouldn't say I was whippy, but if some guys were like getting a bit wide, um, I don't know. Do, do you know what? Do you know who I remember has been shocked at how like much chat they had was Richard Cockrell. We played Leicester in the, I don't know what year it was. We played them in a warm up game, and I just couldn't believe the, the banter he was coming. It was just like angry. Um, who else? Mark Reagan was always funny as well. I don't know. It's just part of the game, eh? It's just I enjoyed it all. Of course, of course, you did. Murrayfield, like I, I, I needed to play at Murrayfield. You, you got to come out there, full stadium. You know, you got some great results. You had some tough times, but you had some great. What's it like playing in front of? Because as a as a kid, you you went, you watched, you were like that's that's the dream, isn't it? You didn't pretend that you're. Well, maybe you did pretend you were playing at the penny pit, but <laughs> any any Scottish kid, the imagination is I'm playing at Murrayfield, and then you got to do it. You got to sing the national anthem, you know. You got to celebrate in the changing room. What what's match day like at Murrayfield? Mate, it's just like it's like it's the first few times you do. I can't hardly remember the first time. Like it was just like so emotional, like being there. Like after all the all the years, of like thinking about it and dreaming about it. But like it's just like a. It's just like I don't know. It's just like the well, the best thing you can imagine. Like the thing you're always wanted to do, and like getting to do it over and over again. Maybe maybe sometimes it's like you get used to it and you maybe didn't appreciate it at the time as much as what you should have. I, don't, I, I think that's probably been honest. But, like, when I look back now, I'm like, 
Like I drive, I drive about Edinburgh a lot in the van, and, and that. And I was like, sometimes I'll drive, I'll drive close to the stadium. I'll look at it, and I'll be like, I've played there forty times for Scotland, something like that. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> it, um, it must, it must be class. And you said when you stopped playing that you, you didn't really say fall in love with it, but it wasn't the most important thing. And now you're getting back into it. Do you think you needed that time? I think I think at the time, I think a, a lot of guys when they finish up, some guys like stay and like stay involved straight away, go go doing the sort of professional coaching thing and all that, and that that's great. But like I knew, I knew that really wasn't for me at the time. So it's like I went back, I went back sort of into the building trade. Like I knew that was going to be my sort of route, if if you like. So it was like rugby in my head. Just went right to the, for being like at the front of the queue. It just went like right to the back, and a lot of other stuff were a lot of other stuff was going on, um, in my life. And rugby was just like nowhere near, like a priority. And then over time, it was like it was like I almost forgot about it. And I, I didn't realize until years and years later how much I actually missed it all. Until I started going to the odd game and that here and there, like a few a few years ago, it was just like you lose touch with everybody as well. You know what I mean? Like all the guys, all the guys, you lose touch with everyone. So yeah, I'm just I'm just uh, I'm just enjoying getting back and in, back involved and seeing guys and going to games and like talking to guys again. I'm gonna laugh. Trying one, on. one of my one of my favourite chunk bits. Remember when you did the ball presentation at Edinburgh? Uh-huh. And it was what what game? It was a European game, wasn't it? And they were on. Or Munster. was it? Oh, it was Munster. It was was it semi final of the whatever it was at the time Pro no, Twelve. Uh-huh. And and you went on with the ball, and then at half time, I was supposed to do an interview with you, and nobody could, nobody could find Chunk, and it was like, where's Chunk? I'm standing with the microphone, and they're in my ear going. Have we got Chunky? Have we got? I said, I don't know where he is. He's never shown up. But you were at the back in the queue for a beer at half time. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just thirsty, mate. Uh, where, where's Chunk? I love that. Chunk, Scotland International. He's just delivered the ball and he's still got to go and queue for a beer at half time. That was just priceless. But anyway, I loved seeing, like on Sunday, we were there and you got to see Graham Morrison again. You've not seen him for however long. Within about 30 seconds, you were right back into just being two daft rugby laddies. Uh, I've not seen V Dog for a while. Um, uh, that's, what, that's what I was saying. It's like when you, you play, you train and play with these guys, with guys for years and years and years, and like, you know, you're, living, you're basically living the guys. And then it's like what you say, you don't see them and then you see them, but it's just like you just go straight back to like, that time, if you like, so I forget. It's like I was forgetting on Sunday. It's like I'm 45 now, nearly. Felt like I was like 25 again, <laughs> down in heights on the stage. <laughs> like, what's going on? We've got work to on. <laughs> it, it, it was class, senior. I, I love that you're back into. It. If you could, if you go back to one game or one stadium or one changing room. What what would it be? So the, the thing I'm like you've said about being on tour now. The thing I miss is the changing room, and I didn't mean the changing room now. That's got the social media guy in the corner and the TV cameras. I mean the doors closed, and it's just 
just you lot in a changing room. I miss that massively. Is there a is there a moment like Johnny Wilkinson talks about he would love to be in the World Cup final again with 15 seconds to go. He, he doesn't want to be at the celebration. He, he wants to be in that moment. Is there a moment that it, everything was just sweet for you? Do you know what I love the best? Is like, it's at the end of the game, like the last minute or something, and you've been in an absolute war, and it's like, you're about to win, but you're not quite sure. And then the whistle goes. It's like, that's the best feeling ever, like. You can't get it anywhere. No, no, you'll never find it anywhere. Like when you've when you've like been in an absolute battle, and then the whistle goes. That's the bit I miss the most. Like just that that feeling that ah, we did just it. Release, ah, class, chunk. Listen, we've done an hour. You have to come back, and we're gonna have to do another one sometime. Now, I, I did tell you you're going to do this, and I, I really want to know what happens here. So, at the end of this, I ask people to finish the sentence. So, Chunk, for you, happiness is? Repeated five-meter scrums. <laughs> I love it. Chunk, thank you. Enjoy your holiday. See you soon, my man. Cheers, mate. I'll catch you later. Love it. How good was that? I've absolutely loved that. I've laughed and I've smiled and it's an hour and it feels like it took about 20 minutes. That was Alan Chunk Jacobson, former Scotland international prop forward. You can watch on Facebook and YouTube. You can listen on Apple Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Please tune in, tell your friends, leave us a review and hopefully you'll be back for more. In the meantime, my name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happiness Is podcast and my happiness is egg-shaped. Look after yourself and I'll see you all again very, very soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.